Well, good morning, everyone. Well, let's, let's begin with the word of prayer. Lord Jesus, Father, we do want more. We do want to know you better, to hear your voice, and to do your will. Lord, as we open your word now, I ask that you would bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. For, thank you. For those of you who don't know, my, as Austin said earlier, I, my name is Dale, and I am uh, the head of Youth for Christ in, in Brainerd, and have been there uh, for 25 years, which seems crazy and amazing. We moved to the Brainerd Lakes area back in uh, January of 86, so this is home. Uh, as I was talking earlier, I don't think I can go back to Minneapolis ever. So, because uh, this, this is home. Uh, one of the questions I get asked quite often is, is you know, because if I do the math, uh, this is my 40th year of working with students and teenagers uh, full time. So I'm asked quite often, how is youth ministry different now than it was, say, back in the mid-80s? And, and right away, the first thing that comes to my mind is the fact that uh, the cultural shift from the Judeo-Christian value is, is complete. I mean, we, the Judeo-Christian basically means that that, that Society more or less has a, a biblical worldview. And the way I describe that to students is this. If, if I am reading my, my Bible, and so I, I read this, and then I take what I read, and I look at the world through what Scripture says, that is a biblical worldview. If, if I look around at the society and the culture and whatever is going on, and then I compare that to the Bible and think, oh, the Bible's off. That is a secular worldview. Does that make sense? So what I try to, to train students to do is, this is opposite of what it should, you should read this first and then compare it to society, because then we can see where our culture has gone astray. And that, that helps. So, so going away from that is kind of been the, the, the number one thing I've seen in students. Uh, the whole idea of there being a clear standard for right and wrong. I, I just read recently in the, the Pew uh, Research Group, they, they determined that in evangelical Christians, that's what we are, evangelical Christians, 50% say that there is not a set standard for right and wrong. 50%. Sadly, the only two groups that say, 57% say there's a standard for right and wrong, are two groups, Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons. They've got us beat. How is that? So, so our, our cultural shift has been away from things of, of Scripture and of the Bible. Isn't that good news? So they, they say there are no absolutes, but of course the old joke is that the two absolutes are what? Death and taxes. My faith isn't strong enough today to talk about taxes. 
so we're not going to talk about that. But when it comes to death, to death, you know, it is one of those things where I would with with the leaves. How many enjoy the leaves and and autumn? Isn't that here? In fact, you know, raise your hand again if you enjoy it. Okay, for those of you who like that, I got something for you. Huh? So you you can you can enjoy this. Um, yesterday when I picked this, it, they were so nice and crisp and everything, and now they kind of look withered because, well, they're dead. Uh, but I was I was appreciating the the look of of this, and this is a a maple leaf that is kind of in the process of turning, and I love this how the whole process of you know the the chlorophyll is what makes it green, and and the lack of chlorophyll is what the true colors the pigment comes through, right? So so it's comedian Jim Gaffigan, he has a whole bit that he does about how we make such a big deal about foliage and, and the color changes and everything else. And one, one thing that he says is, isn't it odd how we, we drive by leaves and we go, oh, they're beautiful. And he goes, in, in reality, they're in hospice because they're, they're in the process of dying, <laughs> which is kind of funny when you think about it. So that got me thinking. We look at this and it's beautiful. And and truly these leaves are 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 in the process of, of withering away. And then they fall off and then we rake them up and burn them. Or shove them in bags. Which I did yesterday with Diane. And it, and I, I don't the whole allergy thing. So if I stumble while I'm reading the scriptures later, it's because my eyes are kind of going like, you did something yesterday. So it is kind of odd how we look at this and it's gorgeous, it's beautiful. And then I got thinking about how, how the Lord views death and, and how it's different. In, in fact, in, in the Psalms, Psalm 116, 15, I'm just going to reference it real quick. It just says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his servants. Precious is the death of his servant. So, so he sees it way different than we do. It's, it's something to him that's, that's beautiful. It's homegoing. And, and for those of us who have lost loved ones, it, it can be a good time as far as we're, we're joyful that, that they're with the Lord, but it's sorrowful. How, what is the worldview of death? Well, this time of year, just look around, you get an idea. Now, I'm not going to talk about the national holiday that's coming up, the candy distribution holiday. But I, I look at, and, and I'm not going to give any opinions on that, but I look at it all as, as kind of, kind of a, a, a misdirected admiration. And let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. When I was a kid, we were talking football in the, in the foyer briefly. When I was a kid, and still am, I, I loved watching the Minnesota Vikings. And I liked sports, I played sports, but I didn't really like to watch sports, and I'm still that way. I, I don't watch a lot of sports. The only thing I will watch is a Vikings game. And when I was a kid, we would have devotions. Now, as a junior higher, I got to experience something that no junior higher today gets to experience, and that the Vikings go to the Super Bowl. So we, 
we were actually headed to the Super Bowl. And so during devotions, I would be praying, dear God, help the Vikings win the Super Bowl. And after about three or four nights of this, my dad pulled me aside afterwards and he said, Dale, who, who are the Vikings playing in the Super Bowl? Well, this, this time it's the Steelers. He goes, okay, do you think there's anybody in Pittsburgh that's also praying God help the Steelers win the Super Bowl? And I said, don't be silly, there's no Christians in Pittsburgh. And he said, well, maybe there are. He goes, and I don't know if it really makes a difference to the Lord who wins a game. He goes, maybe it would be better for you to pray for the players. Who are some of the players that you like? And so I named all those friends, Tarkington, there's Chuck Foreman. I just named all sorts of them because I knew who they all were. He goes, why don't you pray for them rather than praying for Victor? Pray for them. And so then he said to me, it's not bad that you're praying for a team, but maybe it's misdirected. And I was just junior high at the time, but I remember that. And so when I look at the direction or the decorations right now for, for the, the national candy distribution holiday, I, I think maybe, maybe it's just a little misdirected. Does that make sense? It didn't mean when I said it just now. But, but we look at that, and I, I got an idea for, for decorations. Because like we have some neighbors that they have a whole display in their front yard. And, and I thought, wouldn't it be cool if, if next year, Diane, that we, we built a whole uh, scene, and we call it the Village of Man. Wouldn't that be exciting? How many have no idea what I'm talking about? The village of man. Let's, if you have your Bible or your Bible app or whatever, maybe you got it memorized, uh, turn to Luke 7. Luke 7, and we're going to pick it up at verse 11. Luke 7, 11. Now, this takes place, this is a historical event where Jesus is, is in his ministry and he, he was just in Capernaum and he, he walks through uh, the, a village by the name of Man. And a little bit about Nan. It was about 30 miles from Capernaum. So in, in the narrative, it says that soon afterwards, Jesus uh, walked through that. So from verse 10 to 11, I don't know how much time was in between. Because it's a 30-mile it's journey. And of course, they walked it. So that had to have been at least two or three hours. So that between the two. Or he took his Harley or something. You know, I'm not sure how he got there. So Jesus is walking into the city of Nan. Nan was a small village, a little hillside village on the side of a, a small mountain. Uh, the name Nan means beautiful. So it probably was a very scenic place, but very, very small, very insignificant. And, and not a lot is known about it. In fact, when I was doing some research to find out more about Nan, um, I knew it was kind of next to, close to the Jordan River, sorta, and so I, I typed in in the Google. I wrote uh, the city of Nan 
by Jordan. And up pops Jordan Nan, who is a special education teacher in New York. I think that was the wrong one. So don't don't Google that. So anyway, so Dan, so let's let's take up the narrative. You know, this is, I like to say these are historical events. They're not just a, a story, okay? Because it's 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 not Jack and the Beanstalk. This is the historical event of of Jesus. So let's let's look at it. Luke seven eleven. It says soon after Jesus went into the town called Nan. His disciples and a large crowd went along with him. Now, that's important. A large crowd was with him because he had been teaching and preaching and, and healing, and people were excited about this guy, Jesus. And they kind of want to see what else is going to happen. What, what's what's going to happen next? What's, what, what's going to happen? So this big crowd is coming with Jesus into the city of Nan. Now, at the same time, as verse 12, as he was approaching the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. A couple of important parts. Number one, he was dead. This is where the national candy of distribution part comes in for the decoration. So this man is being carried out in a coffin, open-faced coffin, the way it's described in, in those days. And, the, and his mother is, this was the only son, and his mother was a widow. Now that is a big, big, big deal because Back then, they did not have any uh, social programs or anything like that. So a, a widow was many times destitute, or he needed to go live with family. Well, this was family, so she's, she's in, a, in a pickle here because she doesn't know what's going to happen. So I'm sure she was very, very distraught. I am sure because she was a Jewish lady that I'm sure that she asked the Lord many, many times for healing for her son. She asked, I know that she probably, she's thinking, okay, I just saw my, my husband pass away, and now my son's passed away. God has forsaken me. And, and it was, she was in mourning in a very, very real way. Also, there was a large crowd with her, the mourners of those days, and and people that are part of this, this uh, procession. So we have this, this group that is excited and happy and joyful over Jesus and what he's doing, and we have this, this very mournful funeral procession with the, the widow. And they're, they're, they, they kind of collide at the gate. Now, I don't know if they were just inside the city or just outside the city, but the two came together. It reminded me when I was thinking about this. Years ago, that there was a, a concert in Duluth at the at the deck. And uh, Toby Mack, who is a Christian hip hop artist and puts on these wonderful uh, concerts that are full of energy and exciting and, and I mean loud and they're just awesome. 
we were at a Toby Mac concert, and I was with the, the organizer of the event, and we were kind of sitting up on a uh, like a second level kind of a situation in the lobby, because as the Toby Mac concert let out and thousands of teenagers in their jeans and cutoffs and whatever else they're wearing come streaming into the lobby at the exact same time people were leaving the uh, now this was in the the uh, arena in the auditorium if you've ever been to the deck in Duluth there's an auditorium over here and an arena over here with a common lobby area where the restrooms and everything else are at the same time as Toby Mac let out the the Duluth Superior Symphony Orchestra let out at the same time. So we had all these teenagers coming out, and at the same time came all these, these grumpy-looking adults that had just sat through the symphony orchestra. In, you know, they were wearing you know, suits and tuxes and, and formals and, and very you know, dressed to the nines. And all of a sudden, these two crowds collided in the, in the, in the lobby. And it was really interesting to watch the reaction of these people responding to these kids and vice versa. It was, it was pretty, pretty amusing to watch. I think maybe this clash at the gate between the people that were with Jesus and the people that were with this, this widow was similar. Similar in the fact that they, two very, very different feelings for the crowd, two very, very different uh, attitudes about what was going on. Maybe, the, maybe the, the mourners were thinking, come on, have a little respect. Maybe the, the people with Jesus were thinking, come on, get happy because this is exciting. And you can see where there'd be a conflict, right? It's interesting to me. Can you picture that in your head? Hello? Yes? No? I can't. I'll just, okay, I'll picture it for you. So, these, these two groups are coming together. And what I love in verse 12, is that, that Jesus sees the widow. Actually, let's read verse 12 and 13. It says this. As he, I was going to backtrack just a little bit. As he appeared or approached the town, city gate, a dead person was being carried out and the only son of his mother and she was a widow, and a large crowd was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Which is kind of an odd thing to say to somebody who really, really is brokenhearted. Oh, don't cry. Now, I don't know how he said that. I don't know how it was taken. But it's interesting to me that he went to her, and he saw her. Because I think so many times as Christians, we are going through a problem, we're going through a struggle, and we think, what I'm going through isn't really big enough or important enough for the Lord to really give attention to. Yes, I'm going through something big in my life, but I don't think God really cares all that much. It's not true. This shows us that, that this widow was, was given great attention 
by Jesus. And a side note that I think is interesting is that Luke takes great effort in, in letting people know that God is concerned about widows. Now, you've got to remember that in, in these days, sadly, women had no social standing. None. They, they did not have, uh, they could not be a witness in, in court. They uh, couldn't own property. They, you know, all, all the things that we enjoy today wasn't available to them. So, and a widow was even further down the scale, like I mentioned before. But five times in the book of Luke, Luke talks specifically about a widow and how the Lord intervened in their life. Five times. A couple of examples would be in Luke 18, where the persistent widow goes to the king time and time and time again and says, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. And finally, in Jesus' uh, teachings, he says that the king says, it's not because I care about you or be, that I... I fear God, but just to get you off my back, okay, you can have justice. And another time when they're in the temple, Jesus sees a widow who gives just a little bit, all she had, she gives the quote-unquote the widow's mite, just a couple pennies, and he says, this widow has given more. Remember that story in, in Luke 21? So five times Luke talks about widows, and I, and I believe that the disciples they caught this. They, they got the idea that it was important to take care of widows because James writes in James 1, he says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Let me repeat that. In James 1.27, he says, Religion that the Lord, that God our Father accepts is to look after orphans and widows. So I think the disciples picked that up from, from Jesus when, when they, he saw how much attention he gave to this widow. Pretty cool. So he says, don't cry. And then he does something that was really taboo. It says that he went up and touched the coffin. Now, some translations say that he touched the, the buyer, or the, the it's B-I-E-R, buyer, which is basically an open-faced coffin or like a stretcher kind of a thing, which they use just to, to transport the, the dead person to where they're going to bury him. Now, they had assigned usually four people to, to carry that, and those four people were unclean because they were doing that. So for somebody to come up and touch the buyer or the coffin made them unclean because they touched something dead. So for Jesus to go up and touch the coffin, was, uh, can you imagine how they, they would have reacted? It doesn't have any... Uh, leaders as far as uh, temple leaders in the story or nothing, but I'm sure that the people knew and understood he just 
just touch the coffin. You don't do that. But he did. He touched the coffin, and then he spoke to the young man. And I am in verse 15. Well, then I'll start at 14. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. I'm sure they did. What is this guy doing? And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. How cool would that be? How cool would that be? To see somebody raised from the dead like that. Now, the Jewish tradition was that, that when somebody passed away, they would bury them as quickly as they could. So it was usually within the same day. So it was one of those things where, first of all, you don't touch them. He's dead because we're going to bury him. We're going to make sure he is. And now he's back. And, I, and he says he began to speak. I wonder what he said. What, what would you say? I, I have no clue. Like, I'm hungry? I, I, I don't know. So, so the man sits up, and, and then it says Jesus gave him back to his mother. Now, I looked up the Greek of the, the, the word gave, and one of the meanings of this, this form of gave is to give as if you're giving a gift. And what a gift that would be to receive your dead son back. What a gift. Now, brief recap of, of Luke. We have the miraculous, the, the miracles surrounding the birth of Jesus. Then he was tempted, then he called disciples, then there were some healings and teachings and more teachings and more healings. And now he was raising the dead. What was the reaction? Verse 16. It says this. They were all filled with awe and praised God saying, a great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. Why is that a big deal? Number one, I think it's interesting that they didn't praise Jesus the man, standing right there. They praised God. Because I think that they saw where his power was coming from. And the cool part about that is this. For the Jews, it had been... 400 years since there was a prophet giving the word of the Lord in Israel. 400 years. And now here's a man who comes in their, into their community who can raise the dead. And then they, they said, God has come to help his people. I wonder if they really knew that he was God the Son, that God himself, in fact, had come to help his people. That's a pretty spectacular thing. Pretty spectacular. Earlier, I mentioned about the, the cultural shift that, that our, our society is in. And, I, and in working with students, one of the hard things with being uh, a youth worker for, for all these years is that I never really get past 15. 
as far as you know, mentally thinking or whatever. I, I never really get past that because I'm always working with junior hires and some senior hires and it continues that way. And one of the concerns that I have is that for their lifetime, many of them have had spiritual silence just like these people had 400 years of silence. Before COVID, there was a study done in, in Brainerd where they found that over 75% of students had zero church affiliation. And, and since COVID, I've read that as many as 30% of regular churchgoers have not gone back to church. So now it's even worse. So it's like this period of silence for these students where they're not hearing the word of Lord at all. So, Youth for Christ, what are we doing about it? Our motto is give life to your story. Give life to your story. And we have this system that we use called the three story. If you've ever seen our, our logo, it's, it's three circles. There's, there's the circle here, circle here, circle here. And what it stands for, it's their story, my story, and God's story. And so what we do, we teach our, our, our volunteers and, and as staff people, we do this as well, with, with all the intent that we can muster, when we talk to a student, we go after them in the three stories. First of all, we want to find out what their story is. What's your background? What are you doing? What, what do you love? What's your family like? Uh, what, what kind of things really are, do you get excited about? In that, we find commonality, and we, we share our story. And then while we do that, we try to work in, with great intention, God's story. Telling them, this is what God has for you. Let me give an example of that. There was a, a gal that I'll call Camille. And she was uh, new. To, we have a, a new youth uh, building that we've opened in the last two years called the YFC Junction. It's right downtown Brainerd. It's wonderful. If uh, you're in Brainerd sometimes, swing by. I'd love to show it to you. But at the junction, this, this gal came in during some of our open hours, and, and she and I were just chit-chatting. And, and so I, I went after the three story. I said, Camille, tell me something about you that I don't know. And she thought for a second. She goes, I like to draw. I said, cool. You, do you like to draw or any kind of art? And she goes, oh, any kind of art. Tell me about that. What, what mediums do you like to use? Well, I like, I like pencil drawing or, or using uh, charcoal. I, I enjoy doing that. Oh, that's very cool. I like art too. She said, what do you like to do? I said, I, I enjoy painting. And she goes, oh, I, I, I do like to paint, but I don't get to do it very often. What kind of paint do you like? Well, she says, I, I, I'm not very good, but I've tried acrylic paints and all that. I said, that's usually what I do. I prefer oils, but I do acrylic because it's an easier cleanup. And so we got talking about that, and I said to her, you know, I know every artist has something on their phone that they've drawn or they painted. So show me some stuff that you've done. So she takes her phone out, and she shows me all these, these pencil drawings and, and sketches that she's done. And they're, they're quite good. 
but the, they're a little abstract or very abstract. And so I said, well, well tell me what you were thinking when you, you did these. So she tell, starts telling me, well, uh, my, my stepdad passed away about a month ago. And uh, I said, oh, I'm very, very sorry to hear that. Were you close to him? Yeah, we're pretty close. And I said, well, so is it just you and your mom now? She goes, well, no, I, I live with the foster family because my mom's in, in, um, she's in, in, in treatment because she's addicted to, to cocaine. Um, oh, man, that's tough. What, what about your, your birth dad? I never knew my birth dad, so that, he's out of the picture. And then she went on to say, you know, I really hate living with my foster family because there's, it's just so busy and I don't have any time for myself. And she was just going back and forth and talking about it and she was showing me her art. And then, then I said, you know, Camille, the Bible says that when, when a person's parents, especially their fathers, passed away, it says that God says, I will be a father to the fatherless. She goes, the Bible says that? I said, yeah, let me show it to you. So I showed it to her in, in the scriptures. And she goes, huh, I never knew that. And so we kept talking about art and everything else. And then she stopped. And she said, why did I just tell you all this? And I had to smile because I thought, because we connected. Because we connected. Because we, we, we used the tree story. It was her story and my story and what's God's story into it. And how beautiful that is to bring life into her story. That was just one example of the many, many, many students who were able to talk to and, and to bring life into their stories. So what about you? You look at the surroundings of, the, of, of your life and you're thinking, oh, I, I don't really have that great of a story. doesn't need to be great. It just needs to be your story. Because what I have found, especially as I talk to students, is that so many people, they, they basically just, they want their story to be heard, even if it's not quote-unquote special. And once you hear their story, you can share your story. And as I look at, at this, this, this story here of, of Jesus in the, in the city of Nan, how there's a story here. Can you imagine what the, the widow's story is now? I lost my, my husband, I lost my son, then I met Jesus. And then he restored my son back to life, and I only have it. What a story to share. And I think what's very, very cool in verse 17, it says, This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. They shared that story. I think everybody that was part of the crowd of Jesus and everybody that was a part of the crowd of the mourners. They had a story to tell. Now you could say, but Nan was such a small, insignificant little place. In fact, one of the things I read about Nan is that most, most uh, pilgrimages that, that take place uh, of people visiting the Holy Land skip right past Nan. There is a little, uh, like a little tiny 
cathedral kind of a thing that is in commemoration of this miracle. But they said that people don't even go there because it's such a small, insignificant village. They just pass it by. Yet, to all of those people, it was a great story. It was a great thing to share about what Jesus had done for them. So, a couple questions for you this morning. Number one, which crowd are you part of? Are you the part of the crowd that's hurting? That, that maybe in mourning, maybe things aren't just going right and you need God to, to do a work in your life? Or are you part of the crowd that you're just excited about Jesus and, and everything that he's doing and you're just trying to figure out a way of sharing that? And if so, why not share that? Why not just let people know? Take time to ask somebody a question about their life and find out what their story is. And then you can share your story. And then tell them God's story. I think that'd be pretty cool. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that in all things you work through us, you work for us with the intent of bringing glory to yourself. And Jesus, I pray that you would help us to, to be willing to share our story with those around us. And that we would take time to hear the stories of the people that are around us. And then with great intention, Jesus, give us opportunities to share your story with them. Lord, we may never see someone raised from the dead, and that's okay. But there's miracles and, and exciting things that happen around us each and every day. And I ask you that you help us not to lose sight of those things. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise and glory for them. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we had... <laughs> Through the miracle of technology, we're able to have worship off the wall. And for our benediction, we're just going to have a benediction off the wall, too. So, quote unquote. So, be praying for your pastor. This is the Pastor Appreciation Month. If you haven't said, I love you, Gary, recently, please do so. Tell me, I told you to say that, so if you don't mean it, just say, Dale said I have to say this. Okay. Actually, tell him that anyway, just because just that would be good. So, God bless you and keep you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may go.